Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today is week three of past, present, and future. And so I am, am very, very honored to be able to close this out with week three, dealing with the future. Uh, just to kind of review really quickly to get us all caught up on where we've been the last couple of weeks. This whole series is based off of Revelation 1.8, which tells us this. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so the idea that we've been basing this series off is that God is the God of our past, God is the God of our present, and as we'll discover today, God is the God of our future. And, th- and that God does not exist in time, but the time exists in God. God is not um, you know, held back by our calendars, our schedules, our, our idea of time, our concept of time. God is in all of that, our past, our present, and our future. In week one, Pastor Rocky dealt with our past, and he talked about how our past is just this kind of mix of the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how we as humans are created in a way that we can't completely forget the past. Sometimes we want to forget the past, but we can't completely forget everything that's happened in our past, and there is a reason for that. One is as a defense mechanism to make sure that we don't keep on repeating destructive behavior and get into destructive relationships, but the other is so that we can remember what God has done in our past so that we can have a testimony moving forward. One of my favorite lines from that message from week one was, the past is a place of reference, not residence. Can I get an amen? That's good stuff right there. Week two, last week, Pastor Rocky talked about the present and how so often we get so consumed with our past or with our future that we fail to live in the moment. We fail to realize that God has a purpose and a plan for our present right now. And he referenced Moses as he's in the desert and the burning bush. God is speaking through the burning bush to Moses. And when Moses asks, who am I going to tell sent me? Who, what's your name? And God uses not who he was or not who he's going to be, but he said, I am. God God is in our past, God is in our present, and God is absolutely in our future. Today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25, and so if you want to cheat ahead there, we're in Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. We're going to read our text in here in just a moment, but I have a spoiler alert, a spoiler alert. So if you don't want to hear spoiler alerts, go ahead and plug your ears. But as we're talking about the future today, the spoiler alert is this, God's got big plans for your future. God has hope for your future. You're not here by accident today hearing about God's plan for your future. I believe that everybody that's sitting in this room right now or that might listen to this podcast at some point in time is is in this place where we need to know that God has big things for our future. And so as we read in Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 24, it says this, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. 
Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, swear it to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to discover the truth of your word. God, I pray that as your word today is living and active, God, that it would just uh, infuse our hearts, infuse our lives with the hope that only you can bring. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. July 3rd, 1985 was a significant day in history. It was a big day. I don't know a lot of other things that happened, but I know of one thing that happened. And even though I was young when this day happened, because I was five years old, you could do the rest of the math. I look amazing for my age. Um, But um, there was a significance to this day because July 3rd, 1985, debuting on the silver screen was the movie Back to the Future that changed our lives forever, right? Any Back to the Future fans in the room, all right? Some of you are, some of you kind of don't care at all, some of you are just really uninterested in what's going to be said after this, so you can check out for a minute. We'll come back around, I promise, because I can't guarantee that I'm not gonna nerd out a little bit, because it's one of my favorite movie franchises of all times. So here's what I'm gonna do. For those of you that have not seen the movie, you feel like you're on the outside looking in right now. It's not hard to find movies, they're everywhere, so watch them, but if you have let me just break down the plot really quick, right? Crazy scientist who's brilliant designs this time travel device. He can go from the future to the past and anywhere that he plugs in to the computer to go. But here is where the plot thickens, because it always thickens. The plot thickens when he realizes that this theory of time travel um, is going to possibly put a rip in the space-time continuum, which for layman terms, like for you and me, means that if I'm in the future or if I'm in the past and either I bump into myself in the future or the past or I change something significant enough that it will Rip this hole in the space-time continuum and life as we know it will be over. That's a plot for a great movie right there, right? And so they made three of these movies based off of that premise and all of the great acting and all of the comedic relief and all of the, the great stuff. I so, so much wanted to be Marty McFly, zipping around, grabbing onto bumpers, riding my skateboard down through, you know, Hill Valley. Was it Hill Valley? Uh, and so I, I loved these movies as a kid and I love them even more now. And, and I was a little disappointed to tell you the truth when I woke up on October 21st, 2015. Because if you know the movie, in the second movie, they hop in the time machine and they set a course for 30 years into the future, which just happened to be October 21st, 1985 to October 21st, 2015. And the future that they created on the screen was fantastical. It was amazing. It was a place that I was hoping 30 years from now I would enjoy the benefits. And as a kid watching those movies, honestly, it kind of felt like a guarantee that that's what my future was going to be, right? However, I woke up on the morning of October 21st, 2015, and I did not ride my hoverboard to work. And I was very, like a real hoverboard, not the thing with the wheels that you like lean into and that, you know, I would probably kill myself on. I'm talking about the real ones that look like a skateboard, but just float around everywhere, actually float, right? I got in my car and my car did not fly to where I was going that day. I was promised there were gonna be flying cars in the future. It's not happened yet. I mean, you know, Tesla, get on it. Like, if anybody's gonna do it, it's gonna be them. Hurry up, I want a flying car. I, I did not 
put on my shoes, and the laces on my Nikes automatically adjust to my feet, as were promised. I know that those shoes exist, um, but they're way beyond my price range, and I was led to believe that they would be affordable and on the shelves for everyone to enjoy, right? I was, I was let down by the promises made of this movie in the future, but this, this movie franchise made millions and millions of dollars. It's still extremely popular 35 some odd years later because, and I don't want to overanalyze and, and, and I don't think I'm qualified to psychoanalyze a series of movies about time travel, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but I think that there's something really attractive and appealing for us thinking about being able to travel in time. I think that there's something really exciting about being able to think about jumping in a DeLorean, right? Hitting 88 miles per hour as long as you have enough plutonium to power the 1.21 gigawatt <laughs> flux capacitor that will send you into the... I told you I was going to nerd out, guys. I warned you way ahead of time. To send you into the future so that you could spy on your future self, right? Let's be honest, everybody would sign up for that. If we knew there were no ramifications, we would sign up for that. I would want to see myself 30 years from now in the future. I would want to see what I look like. I would want to see what my kids are like in the future. And even bigger than that, maybe you're a big thinker and you're like, I want to go to the future because I want to figure out when the next recession is going to hit so I can get all my money out this time, right, when it, when it goes down. Or, or I want to figure out when the next big natural disaster is so I can warn everybody and avoid this major catastrophe. Or I want to be around to, to warn people of the next, you know, conflict or war that's going to happen that's going to include the United States or whatever it might be, we have this propensity as human beings to want to get a glimpse or a peek into what our future is going to be like. Back to the Future just provided us that opportunity. And it makes sense because our culture is, is really, to be honest with you, obsessed about worrying about what is coming next. And I believe that there is this tension that exists in all of us just as human beings because there's no way to know exactly what tomorrow holds. There's no way to put dates and times on events of our life that are going to happen that have not happened yet in our future. And although we don't have those specific times and we don't have all those details, I do believe that through God's word we can see some of the things that God has planned for our future. Jeremiah 29:11 says, "'For I know the plans I have for you,' declares the Lord." plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You've heard this verse before. You've seen this verse on every plaque and pillow at Hobby Lobby. So I know that this is a popular one, but it's the, the truth of this verse should infuse our lives with hope, that God has, a, has blessing for our future, that there is hope for our future. And then if we fast forward into the New Testament, we see the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and verse 2, when he says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, for where I am you may be also. The reality is, is that we will never understand or know all of the details of our future. We can reconcile that in our minds. However, we can know that our future is held by a God who has good things for us in the future. 
A God that, that when we see our future and he sees our future, there is hope that is built into that future. And even more specifically, what Jesus accomplished when he came to this earth, was born in the form of a man, was executed, was in the grave for three days, was resurrected and ascended into heaven. What he accomplished in preparing a place for us is that he prepared a place for us in eternity in the presence of God if we, seem to, if we just place our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we know some of what our future holds. And honestly, this should make us a little bit excited because so many factors in our world have a tendency to bring us down and not look forward to the things that are in our future. And, and I don't know, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you dragged yourself in here and you are in the middle of it. You have got so many things in your life, right? Circumstances and, and just big stuff. Maybe it's from your past. Maybe it's just something you're living in right now, but you're so consumed with what's happening in life right now today that you can't even like muster up the emotional fortitude to even look at what's coming tomorrow. But if you're here today and that's how you feel, I have great news for you. It's because of Jesus Christ and what he's done that there is hope in our tomorrows, that there is hope in our future, and that hope is Jesus. But we still circle back because we still have this tension that exists because we don't know exactly when certain things are going to happen, and we as human beings have a hard time believing in the things that we can't see. I mean, I know my past, I see my present, but the future requires faith. I know what I did in my past. I know all of that. I know that God is in my past. I know God is working in my past and through my past, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I know that. I'm here right now in the present. I can see. I can experience it. I can, you know, feel it and, and, and touch the present, and so I can understand that. But when it comes to the future, there's this level of not being able to see, but also believing that God has good things for me. And so we're going to talk about that future today as we circle back around to Genesis chapter 25 with these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, they shared the same birthday as twins, and that's about the only similarity that they had with each other. As we read from this story in the Bible, they could not have been any more different from each other. Esau, the older brother, literally by a heel, is the guy that is the outdoorsman. He wants to be outside hunting all the time, and because of that, his dad enjoys the meat that he brings in from these hunts, and so he is dad's favorite, no doubt. When the Bible says that your dad's favorite, your dad's favorite, right? And so Esau is dad's dad's favorite. Jacob is exactly the opposite. He's a homebody. He likes to stay around the tents. And because of that, he is mom's favorite. And so you know how that narrative works itself out. The sibling rivalry is thick in this family, right? If we could describe it like this, it'd be like Esau goes out and hunts, bring home, brings home the meat that Jacob is researching a, uh, a recipe on Pinterest to serve to everybody that night at dinner. Like that's the dynamic that's happening here. Except there's so much jealousy, there's so much tension in this relationship. And you see, one day Esau came back in from hunting, unsuccessful, tired, worn out, fatigued, and he was just so hungry, and he smells the stew that Jacob was cooking, and so he asks something that I feel like is pretty reasonable. Can I have something to eat? You have a lot of thing to eat. I want something to eat. Can I have some of that, right? And so he asks this question, and the reply from Jacob 
is Jacob's opportunity. Jacob means heel grabber. And in, in Hebrew, that's kind of an idiom for a liar or a deceiver. And so Jacob's kind of been set up by how he was named when he was born and the action of when he was born grabbing his brother's heel, that he is now having this opportunity to turn the tables on his brother. And so he says, yeah, you can have some stew, but only if you give me your birthright, to which we understand that the rest of the story is that he did that. For us to really understand the implication of what this story means and the magnitude of this moment and what Jacob was actually asking from Esau, I think it's important for us to maybe unearth and uncover a little bit what a birthright was back in Jewish history because or in Hebrew history, because we think of like a birthright as like an inheritance, like someone would pass away, they would leave a certain amount of money or possessions or things to some of their family members, and that's a component, but it's, it's a, 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 honestly a very small component. Because the birthright in antiquity went to the oldest, eldest brother, the firstborn boy of the family, and it really had three main advantages that came with it. Now remember, Esau was born just moments before his brother, but that entitled him to all of these benefits. The first thing is this, is that he had a major portion of the actual physical inheritance, money, land, property, cattle, whatever he had. And so the way that this worked is it wasn't like two brothers split it down 50-50, one gets half, the other gets half. No, firstborn would actually get two-thirds, little brother would get one-third. You want to make somebody salty. That's how you make somebody salty, little brother, right? And so Jacob's not happy about how that is going to shake out. So he wants that. He wants the, the physical rewards. He wants the monetary value that he feels like he should have. But then the second thing that happens through a birthright that's transmitted from a father to his firstborn son is this leadership position in the family. Essentially, you become the family CEO. What you say goes. You get the deciding vote in matters small and large. And so if you're going to move your family somewhere, you get that deciding vote. You get to overrule. You get to do whatever it is that you want. Your, your vision is going to be played out in your family. You are the head, not the tail of the family. And then the third and, and maybe most significant part of the birthright for the eldest son is that there is this spiritual blessing that accompanies the birthright. So not only is there monetary value in it and an advantage, not only is there this leadership position where you become the, the leader of your home, but then you also have this spiritual advantage where you become the priest of your home, which is important in our culture. It was extremely important in their culture. And then to add a layer onto this context that we're exploring, we have to understand that Esau is Abraham's grandson. And Abraham was given this guarantee, this covenant by God, that the Messiah, who we now know as Jesus Christ, was going to be born through the bloodline of Abraham. And so Esau had this amazing opportunity through this birthright to have Jesus Christ himself born through his bloodline. And so all of this is at stake when Esau drags himself back to the house. He's hungry and he's tired. And Jacob says, all you have to do to get some of this stew is give me all of this money, leadership, and the whole Messiah thing, right? If, if that were you or me, in the context of that, it would be a quick no thank you. This story's not even in the Bible because nothing comes of it. I'm gonna go grab a power bar. I'll be fine, really, right? I'll be all right. But Esau, in this moment, takes the bait. You see, in this moment, he's tired and he's hungry. The future birthright blessing is fuzzy in his eyes, but his present growling belly is just persistent. And so Esau says, maybe one of the 
most overly dramatic statements in the Bible in verse 32 when he says, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me, right? Can you just see the overacting being played out in his life in that moment, right? He doesn't see it. You see, Esau couldn't see past his present circumstances to his promised future. He couldn't see past the fact that he's really hungry right now to realize that he's giving up all of this promised future that he had in store for him because of his birthright. But before we all gang up and say Esau was a moron, how dare he do that, and we would never make that decision, can I ask ourselves a question? Don't we have the temptation to do that in our own lives all the time? Don't we as humans have the propensity to take what's less because we see it right now instead of waiting for God's best later? We may know and we may even believe that God has good things in store for our future, but when life gets tough and things get difficult, we experience failure and fatigue, it's tempting to just take the easy way out and steal just a little bit from our future to make us feel better right now. It's like we settle for the immediate instead of waiting for the ultimate. We sacrifice what we want the most for what we want right now. And we're warned against this all throughout scripture, even in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 16, as Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the message puts it, it says, watch out for the Esau syndrome. It's called a syndrome. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. What is that? It's trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short term appetite. We all have this kind of bend toward this Esau syndrome and how short-sighted of Esau and how short-sighted of us. See, what it really boils down to is that Esau believed way more in what he could see and smell and taste than he did in a blessing that in his mind might happen someday or might not happen someday. I mean, maybe he was legitimate in his concern for his own life in that moment where he crawled up to the tent and said, what good's my birthright if I don't live to see another second, you know? Maybe that really was his fear, and so it was maybe worth it to him, but I think probably more uh, common of an answer would be that he had this, this uh, uh, ability to sell off his birthright so quickly because maybe he didn't really truly believe that that day was ever going to come. Or maybe he didn't believe that the Messiah was actually going to come from his bloodline. Or maybe it, it just, whatever happened in his life, whatever circumstance he was facing in that moment, that became less important than what he saw in front of him. And when we pursue the immediate in place of the ultimate in our lives, we are putting our faith in what we can see and what we can control rather than in a future that is promised to us by God, but that we cannot see. See, James 2.17 tells us this. It says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. One way we could say that is if you say that you have faith, but you don't do anything about it, it's probably really not faith at all. And if we quote Jeremiah 29.11 all the time, for I know the plans that, that God has for me, plans to prosper me, plans for hope and a future, but if we don't really have the faith to be obedient right now, do we really believe that's what God wants for us there. Because future faith looks a whole lot like present obedience. My future that is full of hope from God 
If I really truly believe that, what that looks like for me right now today is obedience right now and today. Because if I really believe that God has good things for me there, then I'm not gonna sell that off for anything that I could be tempted with that's in front of me right now. In August of 2014, I was contacted with uh, a possible opportunity for a staff position at another church. I was here at Destiny Community Church. We'd been here for seven years, something like that at the time, six or seven years. I was the youth pastor here. I'd been in youth ministry my whole career. And, um, and I just felt like that at this point in my life that God was starting to kind of shift some of my passions, and I felt like, okay, you know what? I, I feel like the season in my life of youth ministry is probably, um, you know, it's close to over. I felt like God was, was moving me on to some other kind of ministry. To be completely honest with you, I had no idea what that looked like. I wasn't looking for another position. I wasn't calling anybody. I wasn't going out trying to find anything. It's just I was approached out of the blue about this possible opportunity to, to join the staff at a larger church with a larger staff as an executive pastor. And so there was a lot of really enticing, appealing things that kind of came with this position that I was contacted about. There was this idea of being able to step into maybe what I thought God was bringing me into in this new position. There was a lot of exposure in this church that I would gain and have opportunities and doors that would be open and all kinds of stuff. I'd be lying to you if I told you that there wasn't some temptation that accompanied that phone call, that invite. And so I, I've learned a couple of things in my life, literally I think only a couple, but I'll share them with you right now, at least one of them. When I make decisions, especially big decisions, I don't do that quickly and I don't do that by myself. And so what I started to do and Deanna started to do with our family, we just started to pray and seek God and we fasted and we asked God, what do, what do you want for our family? What is your will for our family? Because this would mean uprooting our family, moving to a different place, a new place, new people and all of that kind of stuff. So God, what do you want for, for our lives and for our families? And I invited some people that I trust, some other pastor friends of mine that I knew had our best interests in mind and also heard from God. And I invited them into the conversation that we were having and, and got some advice and counseling from them. And I talked to my pastor about it, which also happened to be my boss. Um, so that's always a fun conversation. But um, you know, Pastor Rocky had some, some great um, wisdom in the whole situation. And so during this, this time, it was just a lot of um, uncertainty, not really knowing what's going on, really a desire to hear God give us direction. We wanted to make the right choice in this. There was a lot at stake. So we really wanted to do the right thing in here. And as appealing as some of that was, there was a point when Deanna and I both just had a peace about a decision. I would love to tell you that we prayed and fasted and involved other people's wisdom in our uh, decision-making, um, you know, kind of efforts, and then God showed up physically and told me what to do, and it just didn't happen, I'm sorry. Rarely, I think, does that happen. So we just felt this peace that that was not the direction to go, that we were to be here, that we were st to stay here at DCC, and if that meant to be in youth ministry for a long period of time, then that meant to be in youth ministry for a long period of time, because at that moment, it didn't seem like there was an availability on our staff for the position that I was kind of desiring for us to grow into that. 
So we made the decision. We made the decision to stay. And wouldn't you know it, like three or four months later, there was this position that was created at Destiny Community Church for an administrative pastor that's still hold right now. That would have never happened if I would have gone against what I believed God's will for our life was. In that moment when it was tough to figure it out and maybe tough to be obedient, we chose obedience and there was a blessing that followed that. Our faith in what God had for our future there required present obedience from us right now. But bigger than that, and something that we honestly didn't see coming at all, that was so much more important than that for us, was that around that same time our daughter was four and we wanted to expand our family and we found out during that time that Deanna was pregnant and so we were excited and we were anticipating the, um, you know, a, another pregnancy and adding to the family. And we went to a routine, early on in the pregnancy, we went to a routine um, pregnancy checkup visit, and we were informed that there was no heartbeat. And not long after that, we experienced miscarriage, which I know so many of you in the room that you carry the weight of that as well. And it was a heavy time, it was extremely dark in our lives. Um, I'd lie to you if I told you that, like, we just had, you know, we just knew everything that was going on, and there were moments when we really didn't understand like we really didn't understand what was happening and why we were walking through this the way that we were walking through this. And, and as we started to heal from that, you don't get over that, you start to heal from that a little bit. As we started to heal from that, I'll never forget the moment that Deanna looked at me a couple months after we experienced all that and walked through all that. And she looked at me and she said, can you imagine, can you imagine if we would have accepted a position at another church where we didn't know anybody and we were new to the whole thing and we didn't have this community built in and all these relationships that we've established here at DCC. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been? And what I realized in that moment, the light bulb just went off. And I realized that the blessing that God had for us in our future, it wasn't a position, it wasn't, um, you know, possessions, it, it didn't have anything to do with that. The real blessing in all of this is that there were people in our lives that rallied around us when this happened and loved us so well. There were people that just showed up at our house to do nothing but sit with us when we didn't have any words and they didn't either from our community, from the DCC family. There were people that were praying so incredibly hard for us that we would not have had the advantage and the benefit of walking through and living through those moments had we made a different decision in the present. It's the reason that, that present obedience is really acknowledging our trust in God's future for our lives. And I don't know how that plays out for you in your life. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you're in the room and you're single and you're trying to, to figure out what your life plan is gonna look like and you wanna get married, but it just seems like the, the, the pool is shallow for the dating world and you're just trying to figure out what to do and time is getting shorter and shorter and you're feeling some anxiety about that and you have these expectations and these standards in your life because you know that you want a godly relationship with a godly man or a godly woman and you're not willing to compromise but it, it just, it's taking a while and you're not seeing anybody live up to these standards and so maybe you're tempted just to kind of chip away at those standards and say, well maybe this isn't important and this isn't important and this isn't as important character and it integrity and godliness and all those kind of things just to, to satisfy what you feel like is an immediate need and giving up the ultimate. Or maybe for you, it's in your marriage. Maybe your marriage is not going well right now. 
Maybe it's not a happy home. Maybe it's not a happy marriage. And you're so tempted to, instead of staying and working on your marriage and loving your spouse and doing those difficult things, that it's just going to be so much easier to go outside of that marriage relationship to find physical and emotional fulfillment in your life. And that's the temptation. That's kind of the, the pull that you're feeling right now of, do I trade the ultimate for the immediate? Or maybe for you, it's something with a career you know, you, you have an opportunity for a promotion, but you got to step on some people to get there. You got to do some things that aren't exactly ethical. You got to cut some corners here or there. So you do that, or, or, or do you maintain integrity and do things the right way? Or maybe for you, it has something to do with your finances. And when you get that paycheck every uh, couple of weeks or every week or every month or whenever that comes for you, there's this decision that has to be made. Do I pay my tithes off of this? Do I give my tithes or do I pay down that other bill or do I buy groceries or, or do I stack up some more credit debt because I want to buy this thing and this thing and this thing that I don't need but I want? I mean, where, I don't know where this tension lies in your life or in your heart, but I can tell you that in those moments, whatever immediate satisfaction is offered will be incredibly tempting and enticing because the future promise is going to seem so far off and uncertain. But if we hold to our faith, that future faith is present obedience. Now, I want to be very clear about something because I, I don't want anybody walking out of this room and think I'm saying something that I'm not. But there is no difference in God's love for us if we choose to obey him or if we do exactly the opposite of what he wants us to do. Do we understand that God's grace means that no matter what I choose, no matter what my past looks like, no matter what I choose in the present or what I'm gonna do tomorrow, nothing changes God's love for me. Christ died for me while I was still a sinner. This is not, if I get all my ducks in a row, then I can make God happy enough to bless me. That's not what this is about. God's love for me, God's grace for me, God's forgiveness for me does not hinge on my obedience or disobedience. That's not what this is. But when we choose to trade the ultimate for the immediate, what we get in return is regret and consequence. And, and we get all of these emotions that follow those, uh, those decisions, and those are the things that God wants us to not have to deal with. We were not created and designed to hold that weight on ourselves. God wants us to live a life free of that. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul's telling us, you've got to look at what you can't even see. You've got to look at the eternal. Don't look at what is being offered in front of your face right now. Don't look at the immediate. Look at the ultimate. Don't look at what's in front of you right now. Look at what God has for your future. Focus on that. Keep your eyes fixed on that. Keep your eyes fixed on that tomb that was empty 2,000 years ago and is empty today because in that tomb that is empty exists our hope for a future that God has in store for us. You see, all of that was planned out for you and for me to experience and live out that grace and that hope that only God can provide. Because no matter your past, your present, or your future, I know this is that God is in your past, God is in your present, and God is in your future. Lamentations chapter three, verse 22 and 23 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
What this passage is trying to tell us is that tomorrow when we wake up, there's going to be new mercy and new grace in that moment for our tomorrow. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That is the place that Jesus is preparing for us in eternity. That I know that even if I mess today up, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and there's going to be new grace and new mercy for me, and that it's not going to have an expiration date, and that it's going to last forever, and it's going to be eternal because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for me, not what I can do to impress God in and of myself. And so not only is that grace new tomorrow, but it's new the next hour. It's this next nanosecond, there's new grace. The nanosecond after that, there's new grace. The nanosecond after that, there's new grace. And that grace is unlimited and it extends throughout our entire lives and it's into infinity, into our future, into eternity. And that is the grace that is provided by Jesus Christ. They can only be provided by Jesus Christ. And if nothing else, that should be such a great snapshot of how much Jesus loves us. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We've done nothing to attain that for our future. All of that has been taken care of for us. And when we view our future in light of that grace, it makes present obedience a little bit easier. When we have fixed our eyes on the way that God has set up our future, it makes today's obedience a little bit easier. If we could boil this whole series down into a statement, I think it would sound something like this. Your past is Jesus. Your present is Jesus. Your future is Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.